0: Oh. will
1: is
2: to God. That's all we want, Lord, is you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Truly forgive us. When we made it about our agenda, when we made it about what we want, instead of just what you are and who you are and what you want of us. Father, we empty ourselves right now. We empty ourselves of ourselves. We're giving you our everything, our all in all. Father, we love you. Thank you for receiving us into your presence. Thank you for coming into our presence. Thank you for filling this place or those at home online that they're experiencing the goodness and mercy of God. Father, speak to our heart. Heal the brokenhearted, Lord. Father God, we just continue to pray for our city. The lostness of our city is magnified and was magnified yesterday and throughout this month, Lord God. How people need the Lord. Oh, Father God, the violence that continues in our city. God, bring it to an end. Father God, the tension and hate. Stop it, Lord. Father God, I just pray for families that are broken because of loss, whether it was natural death or a violent death. We pray healing for those families. Father God, we just ask that, Lord, you heal our land. Be with America. Father God, I pray that we as Christians would reach Americans, win them to Christ. Father God, I pray that, Lord God, we would see our city come to Jesus Christ, that our mayor would come to Jesus Christ, our governor would come to Jesus Christ, our president would come to Jesus Christ. Father God, might Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Prepare our hearts for communion. I pray in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated in an attitude of worship as we take communion today you should have been given elements when you came in if you don't have them our ushers will get them so you just raise your hand and they'll get those to you but in the night that the Lord was betrayed he had taken the bread and he broke it and gave thanks and he said this is my body which is given for you Eat it in remembrance of me. He wanted the disciples and all of us to remember the words that he spoke. That's why it's important that you read the Word of God to know what Jesus wants for us. And then we remember that. We practice it. We put it into our life. And we know that he suffered, died, and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. So, God, as we hold this bread, we ask that, Lord, you forgive us of our sins, and we thank you for dying for us. But you also died to heal our bodies. You died to restore relationships. You died to transform lives. So, as we hold this bread in our hand, we say, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. This is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may eat the bread. He then took the cup He gave thanks and gave it to the disciples saying this is my blood the blood that I'm pouring out the blood that I'm shedding for you because without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins so I want to free you of your sin and I want to keep you in the shallow of my hand so he sealed that promise with his blood And as he gives us his blood, he says, I want to protect you, that you might live that freedom. So, Lord, as we hold this cup, we remember that we're free, and whose the son is set free is free indeed. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for the promise of your love. We pray in Christ's name. This is the blood of Christ. You may drink of the cup. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you do and all that you've done. Father, might what we have just partaken in live on in our lives forevermore. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise his holy name. We thank God for what he's doing. Amen. Sing it out again.
1: There's nothing
2: else. Nothing else will do. Oh, lay it at his feet. We've tried other things, but nothing else will do. Oh, yes, we are. Hallelujah. turn to your neighbor and say, don't miss him. Don't miss him. Welcome one another, would you? And make sure you give Pastor Chris Cleveland a big birthday hug. What a tremendous tremendous joy to have you in the house of god hey today after our second service we'll be having child dedication so uh, if you're gonna be here for that make sure you're here after our second service for that special service for child dedication want to let you know a very special event is coming Uh, To our church, and it's Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School is a week long. It's five days of heavy-hitting, power-hitting move of God, where children from literally uh, potty-trained all the way up to the fifth grade have an amazing encounter with God. It's fun. It's action-packed. They do crafts. They have snacks they have activities they have games and in every section they're learning a principle and then they're presenting the word of god and so we're really hoping that you will volunteer because we need a lot of volunteers we have over 100 kids here every night sometimes up to 200 and so there's something for everyone we need setup crew because you're going to see an elaborate stage set up Uh, We need people uh, watching kids. We need people uh, feeding them snacks. We need people helping them do crafts. We need people that are going to walk with the teachers to guide them and lead them. So we really need you to volunteer. We hope you will do that. Uh, You can sign up either uh, online or you can use our app to sign up or at the information booth with Tressa. Please sign up. We need as many people to come on board with that. It's an amazing time. And also want to let you know at the end of the month, uh, the last Sunday of the month, we'll be having baptism service. For those of you that have given your life to the Lord recently, uh, it's an amazing time to just go public and tell the whole world, hey, I'm serving Christ now. And it's an amazing event to get baptized. And then I want to let you know that for the kids our New Beginnings uh, Kids Department is going to be having a pool party. And that's going to be on Saturday, July the 8th. So mark your calendar now. Uh, you can register for that uh, to make sure we have, because there, there is limited room. There's only a certain amount of people that they'll allow us to take at the pool. It's a public pool, so we got to make sure that that's taken care of. So we hope that you'll be a part of that. Guys, I'm uh, kicking off a new sermon series today, and I'm calling it Building a Family with Purpose, a family that knows what they're doing and who they are and working together to accomplish what God has and God wants. And that's not always easy to do. And what I want to talk about today is how we bring out the best in each other in our family. And I want to talk primarily in our family unit, so those that live under your roof. And if they don't live under your roof anymore and they've moved out, they're still your family. How to bring out the best in them, and then people you're doing life with, people that you're living with, people that you're connected to, people that you're journeying through life with, because it's never an easy task. And if we're really going to bring out the best in each other, the very first thing we have to do is accept their uniqueness. Everyone is different. There's no cookie-cutter person. God doesn't say, we're all going to be the same. Wouldn't the world be boring if everyone was exactly the same? Think about it. You might think your personality is amazing, but other people might think, oh, my gosh, they're overbearing Or you might think your personality is amazing, but people go, oh, my gosh, you are so boring. And you might think your personality is just what everyone else should be like, and everyone else is going, thank God I'm not like them. You know what I mean? So everyone's different. Your children are different. You probably even married someone completely different from you. And you're like, how did you guys end up connecting? And it was your uniqueness that brought you together and your uniqueness that has blessed you. Yet sometimes people get divorced and they say incompatible. Well, that's why you got together. You were incompatible. You weren't exactly the same. And we need to learn how to accept each other's uniqueness. So, Lord, I pray that you help us through this sermon to get truths that will help us build a stronger home and to bring out the best in each other and build a family with purpose, I pray in Christ's name, amen. So I really want you to encourage each other to understand and, and to really build each other's uniqueness and accept that uniqueness. Man, I'll never forget, there was, there's a, a family in our church, and when their, their boys were young, their oldest son got into cowboy boots and cowboy hat. And he would never take his hat and boots off. So even when he wore shorts, he had his cowboy boots on. And we are like, wow, that's a unique kid, <laughs> you know? It's like, they didn't say, you can't do that. They let him do that. And ultimately, this young man has grown up to be a fashion dude, man. <laughs> he, he could be in, 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 in GQ magazine. I mean, this guy dresses sharp. But we take people's uniqueness and we amplify it and help them. You don't crush them, but you guide them to help them develop that uniqueness, but to the glory of God, to really become that man or woman that God has uniquely made them to be. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it's a verse that I just love this verse. It says, for your God's masterpiece. He's created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you could do the things that he planned for you long ago. See, God has a plan, and when you come to experience Jesus Christ and experience that relationship with him, he then unrolls that plan for your life, and you come to understand it and as parents, as mates, as a spouse, as children, as siblings, we help develop that uniqueness, and we help develop the plan that God has for them. They're not all the same. In First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6, it says, God works in different ways. But it is the same God who does the work in all of us. He works in all of us differently. And let me tell you some of the enemies of uniqueness. Comparing. When you compare and you start comparing, why can't you be a husband like that guy? Why can't you be a wife like that woman? Why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? Why can't you be, why can't you be, why can't you be? Listen, when you start comparing people, instead of building them up, you're squishing them and you're holding them down. Because they go, man, I can never be like them. I can never be like them. Why can't you be smart like your brother? Why can't you be smart like your sister? Well, I don't know. I, didn't, I wasn't born with the same genes, the same brain. I wasn't born with, with that desire. It was a, it's, you've got to help them go where they are to where they want to get to. And you guide them along the way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, oh, don't worry. We won't dare say that we are as wonderful as those other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as a standard of measurement. <laughs> how ignorant. He's saying, when you start comparing yourself, you're just making a fool of yourself and you're ignorant because no one is the same. And it's important that we accept people's uniqueness and then take that and build it and we really help them become that man or woman that God has so equipped them to become. Everyone has special traits. And it's amazing how God uses people differently and how he ministers to us through them. And that's why it's so important not to compare. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. See, when you know what God has put in your heart and you know the gifting he's given you and you know the traits and the talents and the abilities he's put in you and you start working on those and building those and quit trying to be like someone else, but you become the best at who you are and what God has established you to be and you help your husband get to be that man. You help your wife to be that woman. You help your son or daughter or your brother or sister, and you help them up, man, there's nothing greater than that. Because you're not comparing them, but you're building them up. Another enemy of accepting and acceptance and uniqueness is conforming. Don't conform to the world. Don't conform to what the world says you better become. Because the world has shifted its values over and over and over. Right now on Wednesday nights, I just started a study on the Ten Commandments and Ten Values to really establish your life on and your home on and your family on. Because let me tell you something. People have shifted and tried to do away with the Ten Commandments. But whether you hide them or not, let me tell you they're still there and they're still very real. And people now have rejected them. And yet, look what it's doing to our community. Look what it's doing to our nation. And look what it's doing to our world. We have to quit conforming to the model that the world gives us and instead be transformed by the renewing power of God. That's what he talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says right there, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. He's saying, don't become like the world, but be world changers. You be the thermostat that sets the climate for the room. You be the one that's going to set the stage. He goes, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's the renewing of the mind. It's giving you a new thought pattern. It says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When you come to understand that, it's like amazing. You go like, wow, I finally know who I am. Wow, I finally know what God has me to be. Wow, I'm not confused anymore. You've heard my story, but it it became so real to me when I came to know Jesus. I grew up a Mansfield, yet my first language was Spanish. Went to kindergarten not knowing any English. After five days, I couldn't handle it anymore, so I was a kindergarten dropout. (laughs) Begged my parents not to send me back, and they just thought, poor kid, he's young, he's five years old, he's not ready to be separated from his sisters and stuff. So they ended up going to the school that my sisters went to. And they were in a Catholic school. So they talked to the priest and said, would you accept him in the first grade here as a five-year-old? And they said, sure. And so I was there, but I still didn't know English. And at the first school, they hit me on the back of the hand with a ruler, speaking English. Like if all of a sudden you go, hey, you get beat long enough. Oh, please stop that. I've learned English. Please don't do that anymore. (laughs) It doesn't work. But at the Catholic school, they never hit me with a ruler. They just pulled my hair and pulled it and pinned it till, and they would go, speak in English, speak in English. So the first word I learned was stop it. (laughs) But people would go, what's your name? And I'd answer them in Spanish. My hair was real light, and they would go. Anglo kids would go, "Hey, what's your name?" And I go, "Me llamo Tony Mansfield." Oh, you're a Mexican. Get away from us. Then Mexicans would hear me speak Spanish, and they go, "Hey, ¿Cómo te llamas? What's your name?" I go, "Me llamo Tony Mansfield." Mansfield. Oh, you're a gringo. So I didn't. I no one. I didn't know where to fit in. And all my life, I have to explain, even now, people go, if you're a Mexican, how come you're Mansfield? And I have to tell the whole story. But when I finally came to Christ, it made sense. When I finally came to the Lord, I found my identity in Christ. I no longer was wondering, around, where do I fit? Where do I fit? He said, I have uniquely made you. You're a Mexican with a gringo last name, and I'm going to use it for my glory. And God has put me in places because of that uniqueness. He's given me platforms where I like go, wow, God, only you could do stuff like that. Quit conforming to the world's pattern for you. Become the man and woman that God has created you to be. In Corinthians, the first book in chapter 13, verse 5, he says... It does not demand its own way. Love does not demand its own way. You better be like this. No, I love you. I'm going to help you become that man or woman that God has created you to be with that uniqueness. So you need to accept their uniqueness. Second, you need to affirm their values. Affirm their value. God has value you're valuable to God. You might not feel valuable to you, and you might, not, you might have even been told by your parents or someone, you're just a waste of space. I regret the day you were ever born. It's like, no, God placed you here for a reason. God has a calling on your life. God wants you and needs you. In the book of Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, it says, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without our Father knowing it. He's saying, I know about every single creature on this earth. In verse 31 of Matthew 10, it says, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows he's saying don't you understand if he could keep an eye on a single sparrow if he could keep an eye on this tiny little bird you're more valuable than a whole flock of them he loves you so much he adores you he died for you we've got to understand that we've got to understand why we're so valuable to god First, because God custom made us. He custom made you. You might have been born with some kind of deformity in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of God, he goes, no, I'm gonna use you for my glory. I'm gonna transform lives through you with your uniqueness and how you were made. I'm gonna use it for my glory, says the Lord. In the book of Psalms 139, verse 13 and 14, it says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Wow, Lord, you are amazing. You've custom made us. God knitted you, he made you. I grew up in a home where my mom knit. She was knitted and crocheted and needlepoint and did all kinds of stuff like that. And I remember she'd go to the store and she'd buy her yarn and it came in this long tube kind of thing and then they would cut the paper open and she'd turn it into a big ball and all of a sudden, She'd get her, if she was going to do two needle or one needle, and all of a sudden she'd start, and I'd go, what are you making, Mom? She goes, well, you said you needed slippers. I'm making you slippers. And it would just start with this tiny little thing, and before you knew it, voila, slippers. Voila, a scarf. Voila, a lap blanket. Wow, just on and on and on. This creation, that she would knit away. God got you. He knitted you in your mother's womb. He made you. He created you. He knows what he's doing. You're valuable to him. Not only did he make you, but he died for us. Jesus Christ died for us. That's how valuable you are to him. In First Peter chapter one, verse eighteen and nineteen, it says. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold and silver, which lose their value. He goes, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Wow, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for how you died for us to make us complete, to show us how valuable we are. The world has a way of beating you down, God has a way of lifting you up. He says, I pulled you out of the miry clay, I put you on a solid rock to stay. Man, when I think of that scripture, I know where i came from man some of you might just have a little bit of mud on your feet not me man i was i was just full of muck he had to stick his hand way in there some of you were like that right you were like lost 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 and he stuck his hand all the way down and pulled us out and man he's made us new we have to understand and we need to affirm each other's value, you need to affirm your value to your husband, to your wife, to your son or daughter, your brother, your sister, your parents. And we also have to understand that God's spirit le- lives in us. His spirit lives deep inside of us. That's something that's overwhelming. It's like, wow, God lives in us. It says in First Corinthians 16, uh, chapter 6, rather, verse 16. Nineteen. It says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? And he's, he was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to the Lord. He has uniquely made you and now he has taken residence in you and he lives in you. And he wants to live living you to shine through you and speak to you and minister to you in a way that only he can. And he speaks to us in profound ways and he ministers to us in ways that only he can. And he wants to pour himself through us if we allow him to. To think that God, the spirit of the living God wants to take residency in our life. And sometimes we think, well, I'm not worthy. I know you're not, but worthy is the lamb. And it says, I stand at the door and knock, and if he comes into your life and you let him in, he cleans you. You don't have to clean yourself. He, he cleans you up. He lets you know what he wants and what he doesn't want. And there's a way to affirm love and value to others. The way you do it is, one, is with visual attention. We don't give visual attention that much anymore. Have you seen people eat at a restaurant? They sit across from each other looking at their phone. They don't talk anymore. They just, Cindy and I are really trying real hard not to pick up our phone when we sit down to eat, whether it's at our house or it's at a restaurant. And one day, I used to be real bad about that. I'm not, I'm not trying to touch my phone anymore. And so one day, Cindy's sitting there, and she's on her phone. So I picked up my phone, and I text her. She's right in front of me. But I text her, and I said, please put your phone down and look at me. <laughs> and she got the text, and she went, oh, whoa." Oh. You know what? We don't give visual affirmation to people anymore. We need to give visual affirmation, visual attention. I'm listening to you. I'm engaged with you. We're talking and I promise I'm hearing you. That's why sometimes people that if they make an appointment with me, it's our time together. And sometimes they just drop in. Hey, can we talk? I go, yes, but you know what? I'm in the middle of something. You could talk. I'll promise I'll listen the best I can. But I have a deadline I have to meet. And so sometimes they go, are you really listening? I tell them, well, this is what I heard you say. And they go, wow, you're really listening. I go, I'm sorry I can't be looking at you right now. But I told you I'm working on something. But I, I, I... we set up a time at just you and me, and I promise I give you my undivided attention. You see, in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 30, this is what it says about the Lord. He says, The very hairs on your head are all numbered. He knows every single hair on your head, or even the ones that are missing. He knows every one of them, He's got them numbered. He's that detailed. God is a detailed God. He pays attention to us. Not only does he give us visual attention, and we need to affirm each other with visual attention, but you know what? It's important to affirm with physical affection. Don't be afraid to hug your son or daughter. Don't be afraid to hug your mom or dad. Don't be afraid to hug your husband or wife. It's important. That's why, you know what? People are overwhelmed. We're a hugging church. I'm a hugger. When I meet people, I go, hi, I go, is that okay if I hug you? Whether it's a man or a woman, hey, man, God bless you. That's who I am. And we've become a hugging church. And sometimes that kind of freaks people out because not everyone's a hugger. And all of a sudden you go to hug them, they're like, whoa, yo, what are you doing? Well, I was just giving you a hug. Really? Man, my own dad doesn't even hug me. My mom doesn't even hug me. Man, be a hugger. Hug your husband, hug your wife, hug your son or daughter, hug your mom or dad, hug your brother or sister, hug your aunt and uncle, hug each other. Show physical affection for you, that pat on the back. Man, be able to stand there locking arms or whatever that you do to be able to engage with somebody and show them how valuable they are to you. And in the book of Hosea, it says, I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and I myself stooped down to feed them. He's saying, this is how much I love them. I led them along, I guided them, I freed them, I was there for them. Man, show of affirmation by touch, by shaking hands, by hugging, by engaging. And then another way is just verbal appreciation. Tell people what they mean to you. Say, man, I really appreciate you. You know what? Thank you for what you've done. Show them. Express your gratitude. Express what they mean to you. Share with them how important they are to you. Share with them how much you love them and appreciate them. Share with them. Don't be afraid to do that. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 4. Says others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored, and I love you. This is God speaking to us. He's saying, Do you know how much you mean to me in the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, verse 25? It says, worry weighs a person down, but an encouraging <laughs> word cheers a person up. Isn't that the truth? Just speak encouragement. Speak encouragement to the people that you have some kind of engagement with. Engage by sharing something positive. Say good morning. What's so good about it? You know what? What's so good about it is you've got a job, I got a job, and man, we're working. What's so good about it? You know what? We're alive. What's so good about it? Man, I didn't think I'd be alive at this age. You know, God has been so good to us. Share the joy. So we need to affirm their value. Affirm value in your household. Affirm value in your workplace. Affirm value with the people that you engage with. And then the third thing we really need to do is to trust them with responsibility. There's nothing greater than when you give someone a responsibility because you're showing them, this is how much I believe in you. I'm going to entrust you with this. We were talking with some people last night, and God has just done some phenomenal things in people's life. And when you sit and talk to people, if you really sit long enough and hear their story, most of the time you're going, wait, what? You were what? You were... An addict? You were addicted? Wait, I'm having a hard time processing this because God has transformed life so much. And I was talking to this lady last night and she goes, Yeah, Pastor, isn't it amazing how God has just transformed our life? And I go, Yeah. And I go, It's so hard for me to picture you as someone that was addicted to drugs because i had asked the question how did you and your husband meet so i'm talking to both of them and he goes narcotics anonymous i go oh you got high on her instead huh <laughs> and they started laughing and they go yeah that's how we met and i go you guys i i've known you forever but it trips me out to look at you, and that I can't see you as a drug addict. I can't see you as someone that was like that." And she goes, oh, you should have seen him. His glasses were all jacked up. He was taping it together here with duct tape, and this side over here with duct tape, and they were all crooked, and he was all strung out and all messed up, and, and I was all, and I'm like, wow. And I go, and you just got a job. She, she graduated, she's an accountant. She goes, I just got a job where I handled tens of thousands, if not up to a million dollars. She goes, if they only knew. I go, what, that you're transformed and now you're trustworthy? She goes, yeah, I guess so. It's just, it freaks me out from where I came to where I am. You see, when someone's given that responsibility, it lifts up their value. They think like, wow, (laughs) if they only knew. Well, see, all of us have a past. Just not everyone was caught. Some people went to jail. Some people went to prison. Some of you, if you would have been caught, you would have ended up in jail or in prison. Someone asked me one time, why do you show so much grace to people that have been drive, caught with a DUI or something? I go, because you know what? I'm ashamed to say I used to drive drunk. I never got caught. I don't even know how I got, never got caught. I don't even know how I got home sometimes. I'd wake up in the driveway. I'm in my car, and I'm like, I don't know how I got here. I don't even know where I came from. Where was I? Wow. God, thank you that I got here safe. I hope I'd look at the car and there was no dents, no scratches. I didn't hit anybody. So that's why I have grace to people that are there. Because I was there. I just never got caught. Some of you were there and you never got caught. Man, God has freed us. So when you give someone responsibility, it's amazing. In the book of Luke, chapter 16, verse 10, it says, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful with large ones. But if you're dishonest with little things, you won't be, re- you won't be honest with great responsibilities. And when you give someone responsibility, you're showing them, I trust you, and I believe in you, and I want you to soar and run with it. And when you give them a little task, all of a sudden they could do better ones. Look at verse 12 of sixteen, Luke 16. But if you're not faithful with people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Some people are like, oh, God never gives me anything. Well, you can't be trusted. You're always ripping people off. You're always doing people wrong. Why shouldn't I bless you? You can't even take care of your own things. It's important. There's two qualities that are really missing in today's society. And one is responsibility. No one takes responsibility for anything. It's always someone else's problem. Someone else did it. People now get drunk, they end up driving, they end up injuring someone, and now people are suing the liquor company. Why did you invent liquor? Why did you make liquor? They're going after the bullet company now. If someone gets shot, Why did you invent bullets? Why are you producing bullets? It's like, take responsibility for what happens. No one takes any responsibility anymore. It's always someone else's problem. It's always someone else's doing. I mean, you could catch your kid with your hand in the cookie jar. It it wasn't me. But your hand's in the cookie jar, there's cookie all over your face. No, it was my brother. He shoved them in my face. Well, why is your hand on the cookie? Oh, I'm putting the cookie back. Sure you are, sure. Come on, as silly as that sounds, that's what people are doing nowadays. No, it's not, it's not me. It's not me. It's not me. In Galatians chapter six, verse five, it says, for we each, we are each responsible for our own conduct. Oh, they made me do it. Yeah, right. There's no responsibility another thing that we don't see today is resilience we don't see resilience that bounce back that comeback. yesterday at the men's breakfast beto was teaching on endurance don't give up keep going keep going keep going keep going man people give up right away people give up right away and they don't bounce back right away they just give up and i can't do it never mind i can't do it and you're like man what's wrong with this picture bounce back just i quit never mind the book of proverbs chapter 24 verse 16 says a man may trip seven times but they get they get back up again but one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked isn't that the truth one little problem oh
0: it's the end of the world oh
2: calm calm down It's not the end of the world. The end of the world is the end of the world. Everything else is just a big problem that you could get through. But we don't have resilience anymore. We don't have that bounce back. We just quit and give up and walk away. So if we're really going to bring the best out in each other, another thing we need to do is correct, correct them without condemning them. Don't beat them down, but teach them and pull them up. Look, when you punish someone, you're punishing them for the penalty of their past. Whatever they did, now you're punishing them. When you're correcting someone, you're, you're disciplining someone, you're correcting them for the future. You're saying, I want to teach you so that you don't ever do this again, so that you have a promising future. Punishing is just, now, you know what? Lock them up and put them in the corner and you're never... But they don't learn anything from it because you didn't teach them except they're going to be punished for their action. Look, discipline is they receive some kind of discipline for what they did, but they're being corrected so that they don't do it again. The book of Proverbs three twelve says it this way. The Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. In chapter 13 of Proverbs, verse 24, it says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. It doesn't mean you beat your children, but it means you correct them. So whether you're a spanker, you spank them with a hand, or you got a little paddle, you don't beat your kid. But if you're one that doesn't believe in ever putting your hand on your child and you use time out, well, then use it right. Don't say, you got to stand in the corner the rest of your life. <laughs> that's not a reality. You're grounded for two months. That's yeah. Are you going to really be able to hold them to that? You give them correction that's going to help them to truly be corrected. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 19, verse 18. It says, discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. So you teach them young. You teach them. If they're going to get near a flame, you go, no, 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 don't do that. No, it'll burn you. Don't do that. Please don't. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Don't do that. And you teach them not to touch it. You don't just put it out of, out of reach. But And never teach them, because kids will find out how to climb and reach it. (laughs) So you help them understand the danger that's involved if they play around with it. And if you put it out of reach, they still know the danger, why they don't need to be getting up there to get to it. You guide them and help them, correct them without condemning them. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, but rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. In Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Don't use foul or abusive language, but let everything that you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So man, choose your words wisely because once they leave your mouth, let me tell you something, you can't take them back. And those words seem to penetrate and they they stay with you. And when your head hits the pillow at night and there's nothing else going on, boy, your brain doesn't shut down. And the devil goes, can you believe your husband said that to you? Can you believe your wife called you that? Can you believe your dad said that? Your mom said that? Your brother, your son, your daughter said that? Your, man, it, it resonates and it just drives you crazy. And then the last thing, if we're really going to really bring the best out in each other, love them fiercely with grace. Overwhelm them, lavish them with grace. Love them with a fierce grace, a fierce love, a, a love that is just filled with love and passion. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Instead, be kind to each other, tender hearted. It's saying, Be tender to each other. We don't need lessons on being kind, we know how to be kind. So be kind. Quit being so mean. The truth always hurts. No, the truth always helps. So choose your words wisely. Don't hurt them. But be kind, be tender-hearted. have a tender heart. Be tender to them. Know when you're hurting them. Know when you're helping them. And build them up, not tear them down. It says, forgiving one another but it says to forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. In other words, we need to forgive like he forgives, not like we forgive, because we forgive with conditions. We forgive with with just stipulations. God forgives, and he forgets. Oh, we might not forget all the details, but we forget the sting. We're no longer pained by the thought of it. Jesus didn't forget we nailed him to the cross even showed the disciples look here's the holes in my hand here's the hole in my side from the spear i'm the guy i'm the guy that was crucified but i don't hate you all i forgave you all i don't have the pain of it anymore because god set me free we need to be free we need to be free in first corinthians chapter 13 verse 7 it says love never gives up it's resilient love never loses faith it's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance, love never fails. We've got to make sure we hold on to that. We've got to make sure that we love them fiercely with grace, that we don't pull back for anything. In Isaiah 54, verse 10, it says, for the mountains may move and the hills disappear. But even then, my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. He's saying, don't you understand? I will always be there. My faithfulness is always there. We need to try to be there like that for each other. That we're there for our spouse, we're there for our children, we're there for our siblings, we're there for our parents. We help each other and carry each other and minister to each other. And in closing, Proverbs 14, verse 26, those who fear the Lord are secure. Those who revere the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. You're going to be showing that God is real and God is there and God is going to see you through. He's going to carry you through. He's going to minister to you. He's going to be there to really be able to make sure that you make it through. So I don't know where you've been and what you're going through. I don't know what kind of environment you grew up in. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in. But let me tell you something. You could shift and change, even though you've been a home that's been beating each other down. Then have a family meeting and say, you know what? We've done some things wrong. But we're going to now start bringing the best out in each other. We're going to help each other through this. We're going to help and by really being able to accept each other's uniqueness. We're not... We're not going to be comparing. We're not going to be conforming to to all these other things and all these other people. We're going to really help each other. We're going to affirm each other. We're going to love each other. We're going to help and guide and build each other up and, and have that meaning to say, let's start new. Let's start learning how to forgive each other. Let's learn how to fiercely love with grace that we help each other become the men and women God wants us to be. And I hope that we would do that. So today, I want to challenge you as a family to make that decision to say, we're going to do it right. So would you stand with me? And let's close in prayer. And let's seek God out and say, God, help us. Lead us and guide us. Direct us. And take us right to your throne. Would you be able to just say, God, this is my time with you. I want to empty myself. Like the song says, nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you. Would you just surrender it to the Lord? Whatever you might be going through, cry out to God. Cry out for his mercy. Cry out for his strength. Feel free to come to the altar for prayer as we close out with this song. prayer. Sing it as a prayer. Yes, we do,
0: Lord.
2: Lord, we haven't always done it right. We've tried other methods we've read books and some of them helped us and some of them guided us wrong God I pray that we always turn to your book the word of God that leads and guides and directs and corrects that disciplines and motivates and equips Father I pray that you would help us become those men and women of God that you have called us so uniquely to be That we would help our husband and wife to reach the levels that you have for them, and our sons and daughters to reach the levels that you have for them, and our mom and our dad to reach the levels that you have for them. God, I pray that you would strengthen our families and that, Lord, we would be uplifting and not condemning, that we would strengthen and not weaken, that we would help and not hurt. So, Father God, I pray that you heal the wounds in our family and the wounds in our past so that, Lord God, we would not carry them into the next generation, but we would bless them. God, help us, guide us, lead us, instruct us. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and God's people said amen. We love you, church. God bless you. Make sure you greet somebody on the way out. Hope to see you on Wednesday.